Well, good morning again, Penno Baptist. It is good to be home. And um, I'm just really glad to be here and it really is a joy. This place is so special to me. I say that every time, it really is. Um, just, to, just to be here in the place where I grew up um, means a lot. And, um, and uh, I just think for me today, I, that, I was just saying, I'm sitting in front of um, Simon Lau, who's just, you know, we, we led youth group together. He might have even led me for a bit. I don't know. He's a bit older, quite, quite a bit older, I should say. <laughs> and I just turned around to him and said, you know, I was, our old youth group used to be called Fresh or something like that. And I said to him, you know, I said, I said pray for me because I'm going to get up. I'm feeling a bit frazzled this morning. And I said, you know, it's the same thing, the same God that worked back then. Same God, you know, same God that's doing the same thing, drawing people to himself. And so this morning, I'm just trusting in that God to do his work. You know, I really believe something, Pano Baptist and, um, and guests today. I don't know who you are, all of you, but I don't, I don't know where you're from or what your situation is or how you're feeling this morning. I don't know, maybe you're frazzled a bit. We had a frazzled morning. I don't know whether you're tired I don't know where you're, where you're at right now, but one thing I do know is this. All I can say to you is this, is that God's word is really powerful. Who believes that? And I really believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when his word is opened, that his word never returns from empty. And so when his word goes out, I expect that what that means is his word goes out and it comes back with the fruit of changed lives. And so I'm expecting for that. I think that's going to happen this morning. And I'm, um, I don't know whether that's for, for, for a visitor here, come to church for a long time, and you today need to, uh, God needs to speak to you and, and change your life. But I'm, I'm looking forward to opening up God, seeing what he has in store, because that's where my confidence is right now. Because I really believe that God will change lives today. And I, I'm excited by that. I can't wait to open this and, um, and see, see what happens. And... Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and I'll ask God to speak, uh, and then we're going to give this whole time to him. Let's pray. We just thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for bringing us here today, and... God, I thank you that our tiredness, our, if we're frazzled, if we're awake, or whatever it is, that doesn't seem to bother you, God. Because your work, by your Holy Spirit, is to touch and change lives and bring them to the person of your son, Jesus. So we thank you that your word never returns to you empty. And I thank you that your power is made perfect in weakness. And I pray, Lord God, that today that you would please take your word, not my words, but your words, and you would take your words and you would press them home exactly in our hearts, just where we need to hear them. God, I don't know most people in this room, but you know them so well. You know them intimately. You know everything about them, their innermost thoughts. And you love them. And so I pray, God, that you would speak to each person in this room exactly where they are at. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it possible to meet someone that would change your life forever? 
Is it possible to meet somebody that when you, when, when you met them, everything turns upside down? Now, some of you have been to church services maybe a few times, so you're thinking, here comes the preacher. I know what he's going to say. If you think right now, he's, some of you are thinking, he's going to say Jesus. Now, if you thought that, let me tell you something. Ready? You're right. I'm going to say Jesus. But, but I want to start, by, before I get to Jesus, I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like to see your lives what it looks like if you meet someone and your life changes forever. Because you see, I do want to get to Jesus, by the way, at some point. And, you know, just in case you fall asleep for the rest of the sermon, well, I've got you awake. I'm going to just tell you the conclusion, right? Ready? Here's the conclusion. At the end, and about X number of minutes from now, you see, notice the preacher never tells you exactly how many minutes, just in case, right? Right. I'm going to get to the end, and I'm going to hope that some people give their lives to Jesus today. And maybe this is the first time or the first time you've ever really meant it. That's where we're headed. But you know, I really believe that when you meet someone, sometimes things really change. Now, I don't know who it is or someone you've, you've met before that might have changed your life forever. So for example, like, I mean, maybe you're sitting next to someone who you know that when you met them, your life changed forever. You guys know, and there's a few couples in the room who really should be right now holding hands. If you're sitting, oh, look, there's a bit of love there. Look at that, Manju Rajaratnam. I'm not sure if that was love or a bit of a hit. It kind of hit him a bit. I'm not sure what that means, but... Um, if you're sitting next to someone who you know has changed your life forever or somewhere near, look at them right now. All the, and everyone else, just look at those couples. Look at them. Ready? Look at them in the eye right now. Ready? Look in the eye and look at them right now. Look at them in the eye. Go, look at them. Look, and, say, and say to them, you changed my life forever. Ready? Go. Ready? One, two, three. Come on. Go, 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 go. Yeah, look at that. That's so beautiful. That's lovely. That's lovely. I purposely didn't look at my mum and dad because it just freaked me out. So I'm all going. But... Um, is it possible to meet someone you change your life forever? It's funny, you know, like some of you people who've been married for a, a while, you realise that when you meet someone, it really changes things. Um, but you know, when you look at, you look back and you kind of go, look back into kind of the times when you're younger, you know, that funny time when you're, when you're, I don't know, a teenager or something and, 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 and the opposite gender comes on the radar. And you see young people who meet people and they think, oh, I've met someone. And you look at them and some of you guys have been married for life. 30, 40 years sort of go, no, you haven't. <laughs> and the young person's like, oh, this is it. You know, they've just watched a few too many movies, right? Because they think this happened. And they're kind of like, this is it, I met them. I'm 14. And this is it. And, and by the way, it, that can happen. You know, for some of you that might happen. But you know, the chances are, the chances are, chances are that that person they've met, may not be that person, you know, like I, uh, but they do sometimes have an effect. So for example, right, um, you've seen a picture of me apparently already now when I'm, I don't know how old I was, I don't know, seven or eight or whatever I was in that photo. But uh, as you know, you, you grow and you change and you change looks. So for example, I went to um, a school uh, in, called James Roos and what happened was um, I went through two phases in my life at, at school and anyone who saw me grow up will realise that there were two very distinct phases in my life. And some of you guys, all those people, oh, yes, I remember this, I remember this. So actually when I was between the years seven, like in high school year, year seven to ten, like early years of high school, I was actually very, very quiet. I was actually quite a shy boy. And um, some of you were laughing like, no, you weren't. I really was. I was very, very quiet actually. In fact, um, well, I'm not sure what I was like at church. I, I'm not sure, but at least at school I was very, very shy. So to the point where actually, uh, you know, where I, I hardly had any friends at school. I had like maybe two friends, two, two people that I actually talked to and that between the years 7 and 10. And do you know where you'd find me at lunchtime, by the way? Where would you find me? 
Anyone know? Where do you reckon you'd find me? At the library. That was where I'd be, man. Hanging out in the library. Anyone know what I'd be playing in the library? Chess. There it is. There we go. Like every good Asian kid, although the whole James Roos was Asian, so it doesn't really count. But I was there and I'd be playing chess and there I was with my one... Two friends maybe and that's it, you know. I mean, the, the, the rest of my friends were like, my two Asian friends there, we'd be playing chess and the rest of my friends were the pieces on the chessboard. And, and there I was every week and, and I'd be very, very quiet, really, really quite shy. And then something happened. And so years, and, and just after year 10, year 10, 11, 12, and sort of year 11 and 12, it was like there was a different person. I, I mean, I know, you know, you change a lot when you're a teenager, but that's when the, I became really loud and you know out there and talkative and some of you who've seen me grow up remember right this is the bit you know like I was like like a mini like Ben Wong you know I can't stop talking you know like (laughs) and like and I was just like that I don't know what happened before that I was just like really quiet guy playing chess and I was like you know and I probably will be like Ben Wong when I'm older you know just kind of like this out there animated Asian man who looks like, you know, he's older, but he's got the, he's, he's like probably still 15 inside, you know, and he's excited. And so that's the kind of thing, you know, I have this kind of two things. So what happened in between? Like what happened? And you know what? If I put it all down to something, you know what it was. I think it was year 10 formal. So year 10 formal, because everyone has to go to the formal, right? And, 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 and there was this time that I remember and I was going, I was in year 10, and I was so shy, I had no friends. I had these two friends who I played chess with, but I had this one guy, actually, who I, he was a friend, but we never talked at school, because he was kind of like in the cool group, but he was uh, a friend from primary school, so, you know, so it's a weird thing where it's like, we're friends, but we'd only talk like, you know, if we were outside of the school context. And um, I remember one day he said to me, hey, Steve, it's on the way home, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, who are you taking to the formal? And I said, no one. And he said, no, you've got to. Isn't there a girl you might ask for the formal? And I said, I don't know any girls. I don't talk to girls. I said, the only girl I know is the queen on the chessboard. That's it. And he says, no, nah, no, nah, come on. I'll hook you up. I'll fix you up. He said, tomorrow, come and hang out in a different place. Leave the library and the chessboard. Come and hang with me over down by the silver seats down where everyone's hanging. And he said, I'll introduce you to some people. I said, serious? I said, right. I'm really freaking out. I'm quite nervous. I mean, I don't know how to talk about... I mean, I hope they like chess too because that's all I can talk about. And so in the end, I, I, I went down that day and, you know, a few things happened. I met someone and, you know, and, and then I, I remember... And I asked her the formal, would you believe that? And, uh, and, and, um, and I remember the first thing she said to me, she said... Do you even come to this school? I've never seen you before. <laughs> I thought that's what you get from hiding in the library. And after it went well, and one of the lines, she said she'd go to the form with me, which is really amazing. And then we went there, and, and you know, everything changed. I, I used to wear these big glasses, right? And I was this very nerdy guy, and I dropped the glasses. Contact lenses. I started putting gel in my hair. Like, it was getting really serious, you know, and even mum and dad, they would have seen this. I mean, they, they, they're lamenting this point, because they, they probably quite like the year 7 to 10 studious kid. All the kind of bad memories are coming from mum and dad. The times when they tore their hair out was the after bit, right? And so, what happened was, um, so we went to that form. Now, look, I was going to show you a picture, because Mrs. Sterrett's already kind of gone 
and, and, and ruined me by showing me this, this picture. But like, I was going to show you a picture of what I was like in high school. But I'm a bit embarrassed now, so I'm not sure if I want to... I mean, I've got it on the PowerPoint, but I'm thinking maybe not. Unless you, uh, oh yeah, unless you really want to... Like, come on, easy. Do you really want to see... A, okay, okay, I'll show you the later one. I'll show you the year 11 and 12 one. Okay, ready? Ready? Okay. Year 11 and 12. Here we go. Year 11 and 12. There I am. Steve Chong. You may remember this. Now... I was going to show you the year 7 to 9 one, but I just don't think I can do it. I mean, because I'm nervous that the young people are going to get the Instagram and Snapchat out and they're going to put this on. But, um, and I can see some of them reaching for their phones already. So like, hey, well, do you want to see the year 7 to 9 photo? Are you sure? Can you handle it? Right, wait, wait for it, wait for it. Okay, there I go! There I am! There it is! As you can see, there was quite... Take this thing off! Quick, quick, get away, get away! Get away. Um, as you, can, you can take this off. Who's on the stand? Take it off, okay. Now... As you can see, things change and, uh, you know, and sometimes you meet someone you think, oh, things are going to change. I mean, your looks might change, but then you meet someone. You know that person you're sitting next to right now? Then you meet someone and you know this is a real, real change. So, for example, I met uh, this person on the screen and there she is, the lovely Naomi. And when you meet someone like that and things work, then... Uh, life changes pretty significantly. For example, like this next photo, where you realise that life changes significantly. <laughs> a few things happen in between then and that photo, but like it just, you know, and, and, and life changes. You know, sometimes you can take it off now, but like sometimes you meet someone and life really changes. But what about Jesus? What about Jesus? What would it look like? What happens to a life? What happens to a life when they engage with the person of Jesus and they start to understand who he is and what he's done? Because I'm going to say something really significant here, and that's this, that I really believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is impossible to meet Jesus and not have your life turn upside down. I'll say it again. It is impossible to meet Jesus And when you understand not just who he is, but what he's done, once you understand what he's done, it is impossible to have your life not turn upside down. And today, I'm going to tell you a story that really happened from the Bible, John chapter 12, of a woman who, when she had met Jesus and spent some time with him, you will see what happens to her life and how much that changes how she acts. And when we've seen that, I'm going to say to you that today I'm going to explain to you with as best clarity as I can who Jesus is and what he's done and see what happens to our lives as they hopefully get turned upside down as well. So it all begins in John chapter 12. And here we are in a really interesting situation. John chapter 12 is a busy time. It's six days before Passover, says verse 1. And Jesus came to a place called Bethany where a guy named Lazarus lived. Everyone say Lazarus. Make sure you're awake. And whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And um, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. And there's Martha there, she was serving, uh, while Lazarus was among the, uh, those reclining at the table. Now, I want you to have a little think about this. Put your hand up if you like a good dinner party. Who likes to go to a good dinner party? Who likes to go? Yeah, there. I'm expecting to be invited to your house. But no, no. <laughs> I love a good dinner party. Who doesn't like a good dinner party? And you know... Um, dinner parties are good partly because of the good food, as long as good food's good. But really, in the end, it's company. It's who you're there with. I mean, if you could pick anyone to be at a dinner party with, 
I mean, who would you be at a dinner party with? But can you imagine being at a dinner party, this one, with Jesus? I mean, what would it be like? Can you imagine? I just can't even imagine what it would be like to sit there with him. I mean, what would you do? Imagine he starts talking. What would you do? Would you, would you just sit there and stare and listen? You know, would you start writing notes? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'd want to write down everything he says. I guess, I guess if you did, you'd be writing the New Testament. But, I mean, like, what, what, what would he like? What would he like to be there with Jesus? And there's, there, imagine being a fly on the wall in this dinner party. Jesus is there. He's sitting there and he's there reclining at the table. And there's about, if you look at the different accounts from the different stories where this is told in, um, in say, the book of Mark, for example, and you put it all together, you'll realise there are a few people there. There's, um, there's about 17 guests, 17 guests at the party. So there's Jesus, there's the disciples, they're all hanging out. There's uh, Mary, Martha and Lazarus, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, siblings. And there's a guy named Simon the leper which is not the, the, the name you kind of generally want to go by. It's like, hi, I'm Simon the leper. Uh, but actually he was healed, healed by Jesus. So you've got two guys that, are, that have got some pretty serious testimonies to share over dinner, right? Like, I mean, you've got Jesus there and you want to be like, you want to hear a good, like, you know, dinner party, you want a good, a good storyteller. It's always good to have a good storyteller. You imagine Simon there, Simon, Simon the leper. Hey, I'll tell you what happened. Says Simon, you know, leprosy, body parts falling off, my fingers grew back. Jesus, heal me. Can you imagine Lazarus kind of listening going, hey, you got nothing. <laughs> I was dead. Walked out, grave clothes all on me. I mean, what? And Jesus is there having a smile and everyone's there listening, having a great party and then this crazy thing happens. Now, you've got to understand, let me paint the picture for the room for you. If you want to see what the rooms are like, you can look at some archaeological evidence and what you'll see is that the rooms in that time were really interesting. They would often have this shelf. It would be like a high... um, Nah, I need a prop. Don't have a prop. So, you know, it'd be like a shelf that would be up high in um, uh, in the wall. It'd be a cavity in the wall. And um, what would happen is that up in that cavity in the wall, they would often put something that was really precious, uh, a precious heirloom that was passed on from generation to generation to generation. And I mean many generations. These guys are into generation passing stuff, right? So like, it would be going from great, 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 great parents. And often it might be something like a really valuable thing, like a valuable uh, perfume. Why would they put it up high? They put it up high because you don't want anyone to go near it. I mean, if it's that precious, no one goes near that because it's up high. You don't want to accidentally knock it. You don't want, you know, you don't, you don't want the kids to be kicking the ball and it hits that thing and it's like, there goes, you know, 1,000 years of history, right? So it stays up there, up the top. And um, what you'll find out, actually, is that there was um, <clears throat> some perfume that was up there in this story. And the perfume's actually described, and there's a few things that the perfume is described as. And the first thing is, it, was, it says that this perfume was rare, um, uh, the reason why it's rare is because it was made of um, something called nard. Anyone know what nard is? I had to look it up. I googled nard, and nard is very this very rare thing that you, that grows. You know where it grows? It grows in the Himalayas at 4,000 feet. So it's not the kind of thing you just go around the corner and pick up at Coles, right? This is some rare stuff, and so it's made of this rare, rare exotic stuff called nard. And the other word that's used to describe is it says it's pure, so it's concentrated stuff. This is not like the, this is not the diluted thing. You know, this is not like the stuff you can go down to the cheap Asian markets and buy, right? You know the stuff. You know what I'm talking about. The stuff, we, the diluted stuff. The stuff where you go over and like it says, you know, it's called Calvin Klein, but it's got a spelling mistake. It says Calvin Klein. You know, like th- th- those ones, right? It's not that kind of stuff, right? We're talking about pure, 
concentrated nard and that might not mean much to you right now but I'm telling you if you understand what this is you're thinking what they've got even they've got nard that's great pure nard and they've got pure this pure concentrated nard and the next thing you find out about this perfume is that this perfume uh, is really um, expensive now uh, I, I guess I I guess I wanted to say um, you got to understand what kind of expensive we're talking about if you want to understand this story, you have to get your head around how expensive this perfume is. Like, for right now, I googled what is the most expensive perfume you can buy. Right now, ready? And so there's a perfume called, at the moment called Clive Christian Number no. One. And Clive Christian Number no. One is made up of so much. Uh, hang on, not done, not yet. Uh, Clive Christian Number no. One is made up of. Um, uh, of just crazy stuff. It's got ingredients that won't exist even in a year uh, on the planet, apparently. So very not ecologically friendly. And uh, there's only a thousand bottles of it made. And I went shopping on Google to see how much it costs. And you, know, and you might have seen it, but I'm going to tell you how much this thing costs. Are you ready for this? This ridiculous 10 mil bottle of Clive Christian Run right now on Google is going for, here we go, 2,000. $224. Who wants to buy it? No one. All right. Did I mention free shipping? All right. You better, you better hope it's free shipping, right? $2,224 of perfume. I mean, this is totally ridiculous. Now, I don't know what it's like, um, what, kind of, what, your, what perfume you use or cologne. And, um, so hopefully you can smell it on the person next to you right now. But, um, you know, so right now, I, I'll tell you. So one day I was walking to the airport. And um, I remember it was in Singapore the first time this happened. And I was walking to the airport and my wife, uh, you know, they go past those things where you smell those, you know, they're always waving things at you, you know, those perfume people. You walk through and they're just, I don't know why they're doing that. And they wave and then you go and you're always trying to like, get away from them. But one day we'll, we'll maybe early, I think we're early for a flight, surprisingly. And uh, Naomi was th- there and, um, and we were there in, in the Singapore kind of uh, transit lounge or something. And, um, and Naomi smelt that, this perfume. And I remember... She said, she smelt it and she said, this is good. She said, you're getting this. Now, let me tell you, if you're married, husbands, you know this. If your wife says, you're getting this, you know what you do? You get it, right? You get it straight away. I'm like, man, my wife wants me to smell good. I'll get this perfume. So I bought my perfume here for about, what, 100 bucks or whatever it was. Agua di Gio 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 Amani. Poor home. Oh, no, poor home means something else in French, doesn't it? Uh, uh, that, that's my perfume for about 100 bucks, right? So there's my perfume, and this is what I've got. And, uh, and um, there it is. And, and this is for $100. And so let me tell you this. I want you to imagine if instead of buying Giorgio Armani, instead I decided to buy Clive Christian number one because I was feeling rich. And I want you to imagine I bought Clive Christian number one and man, can you imagine I bought $2,224 worth of Clive Christian number one and free shipping and I put that thing and I had it sitting there in my, in my walk-in wardrobe. And then one day Naomi says, let's go on a date. She says, no kids. Even better. Excellent. She said, send the kids to John McEnroe's house. We're fine. <laughs> and I said, fantastic. Let's go on a date. And I said, we're going to be on this date. She said, you know what? I want you to look good. And I said, she said, I want you to smell good. And I think, all right. It's on. Tonight's the night. I am going to smell good. So I go over to my Clive Christian number one. This is the moment. I mean, it's perfect packaging. 
And I think, I think I'm, I'm going to open it. And you're thinking already, don't open it. I mean, this is a big deal. $2,224, you want to open this thing? Just hold on to it and resell it when the, sometime. You know, all you Asian business people are thinking that. And, and I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm going to open it. She told me to smell good. So I open up this. Clive Christian number one. Thinking I might just get a little dab. And I open this thing up and I walk very carefully with it. Very carefully with it. And I think Naomi wants me to smell good. So I take this Clive Christian number one very carefully. And I think she really wants me to smell good. So I take this and I tip it on my head. <laughs> now, and Matt, you exactly that would be your reaction. You think you've got to be joking. And all the particular Asian people here like, what the waste of money? You're wasting money. Like, it's so cheap. Waste, waste money. And you're thinking, why would you do that? You want to know how expensive this perfume was sitting up on that shelf? Forget Clive Christian number one. You know how much it was? It sells you in denarii, actually, in one of your translations, how many denarii it was. It's, it's worth 300 denarii. Anyone know what, a, what the exchange rate lately is <laughs> between denarii and Australia? I'll, I'll do the exchange rate for you. One denarii, let's go, let's do the maths, ready? One denarii equals to about a day's wages. So 300 denarii is the best part of a year's wages. So let's convert that to just, I don't know how much we meant to roughly average earn, but let's say, let's reduce it, let's be conservative. $50,000 worth. $50,000, forget, Clive Christian number one is looking cheap. $50,000 worth of perfume. Sitting up on this shelf. Handed out from generation to generation. No wonder no one goes near this thing. And they're all having a chat. There's the perfume safely up on the shelf and then suddenly they notice something happen. Suddenly, Mary starts walking a little close to the shelf and everyone's starting to get a bit close to the shelf. And it doesn't seem like she's going to stop. And she just starts walking towards this shelf and everyone's going, she's at the shelf. What's she doing? And they start to get uncomfortable. She gets a bit close to the shelf but not as uncomfortable as when her arm starts reaching up. At this point, everyone's like, what's happening? You know, everyone's like, what's happening? Don't, don't, don't. Are you kidding me? Put your hand. Everyone's thinking, she's lost it. And this next bit gets worse. She puts her hand up and $50,000 worth of perfume, she touches the bottle. You see, now some of you are like, don't touch the bottle. And everyone right now is thinking, oh, Mary's lost it. But it gets worse. She picks up the bottle. She picks up the bottle. At this point, I'm going to show you, in archaeological shows um, how it looks, um, evidence shows that they're, like, they're normally like a round alabaster jar, so kind of literally almost like a sphere, with a, um, with a long, thin stem that comes up with a stopper on the top. And they are sealed at the top, sorry. And what happens is you break the neck when it's, if it's ever open. Once it's open, it's open, right? And that's how it sits. And so there's and she, she, she sees this alabaster jar. She touches the jar. Everyone's like, don't touch that thing. And then she picks it up. She picks up the jar. And then she starts walking with the jar. Don't walk with that jar. Everyone right now, there's a hush in the room. People are like, what is happening? Why are you doing that? She takes the jar. She starts walking and walking. She starts getting closer and closer to the table. And no one knows what to do. Everyone's thinking, this is a nightmare. What happens if she falls? What's going to happen? Don't do that. Before anyone can, can, can say anything, she walks right up to Jesus. 
And then she goes right next to Jesus and she breaks the, 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 the stem. She's done it. It's over. Except they're overwhelmed. They don't know whether to be overwhelmed by that or overwhelmed by the beautiful smell coming through the room. That's a nice smelling room. And then if that is not crazy enough, she then takes this bottle of precious perfume and she goes up to Jesus. And if you look in Mark's Gospel, it tells you what she did. She tips it all over his head. And right now everyone is in shock. The jaws have dropped. This is the weirdest dinner party they've ever seen. And the perfume is now dripping down his head. It's dripping into his beard, probably. And I mean a real beard, not like this Asian, Asian fuzz. Right. Dripping down into his beard, dripping down his robes, dripping all the way down to his feet, and everyone cannot believe it. She's just tipped the whole thing, $50,000 worth of perfume, all the way down Jesus. And if that is not shocking enough, you know what? There's two more cultural things you need to know. Two things that people never do. Firstly, what you never do is this. In that culture, you never go and be near someone's feet. As you know, you may have heard sermons about this because that's for slaves. That's a dirty position to be at. And you also be down on your knees. It's an act of humility and service, servitude. And the next thing you do is women, you might be interested in this, it's a cultural thing that women always had their hair up in buns if they weren't married. Right? And so what happens is they would never, it would be disrespectful, shameful actually, to let your hair down and out in public uh, until your wedding, wedding day. And so from your wedding day on, you can have that because it says, you know, her hair is their glory and they kind of let it out. But before that, they keep it up in, their bun, in a bun. You never let your hair go down. That's cultural. Uh, some commentators say that the, if you don't understand it, the equivalent, if you, you have to understand it in this day and age, because all of you got lovely hair coming down right now, you don't understand that, right? So in that culture, you have to understand it to translate to this culture. Some commentators say it would be the same as if a woman in public today lifted her skirt in public and you'd be like, what? Right? Right? Because it's wrong. You know, like, I mean, that's, that's that's, what, that's how disrespectful it would be. You know, like my, my four-year-old, she's always doing that. I'm like, don't do that! <laughs> right, right. But as a grown-up, you never do that, you see. And what she does is this. It's already a crazy scene. But then what happens is this. Then Mary gets down at Jesus' feet. She's often found at Jesus' feet, by the way, if you know your Bibles. She loves being near his feet, waiting on him, listening to him. And she goes down and the perfume is running all the way down. And if it's that not crazy enough that she's down at his feet, then she takes her hair out and everyone's like, okay, this is it. This is, this is unbelievable. And her hair comes down and then what she does is with her beautiful hair is she takes her hair and she rubs her hair on Jesus' feet and starts wiping the perfume over his feet. And you have just witnessed, thanks for journeying with me back to that picture because you've just witnessed one of the greatest acts of love ever shown to Jesus. One of the most amazing things we've ever seen. And the question obviously before us today is why? Why? Why do that? Why would you do that? I mean, in fact, so many of us right now think it's a waste of, I mean, waste of money. In fact, Judas was in the room there too. And he actually says that too. If you look at the scriptures there, he says, oh, this money could have been used for the poor. Very holy thing to say. Except the scriptures give us a little insight. He was also stealing from the money bag. <laughs> right? But isn't that a problem in the church? I mean, we're not, hopefully you're not stealing from the money bag. Right? 
but we're good at saying the stuff out front. We can quite often sort of look at things and say the right things, but God, but Jesus is not interested in that. Jesus is interested in the heart. He wants a heartfelt, Mary-like devotion for him. Why? Why does that happen? And it simply is this. Mary knows what Jesus has done. She is so captivated by what she has seen of Jesus' life and what he's done. What has she seen so far? She's seen his life. She's seen how he lives. She's seen his miracles. But most importantly, if you flick back two chapters, Jesus has done a pretty significant miracle and the evidence is right there at the dinner party. There's a guy named Lazarus, her brother, who she at one point, only two chapters ago, was weeping and fell at Jesus' feet and said, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And what Jesus did was he stared death in the face and he said, come out Lazarus, and Lazarus came out. And Mary has seen that and she's, that's enough for her. She knows who Jesus is and she has seen what Jesus has done and so immediately all that she can think of doing is giving him the most important, the most amazing, the most expensive, anything that is in the house, it's for him. It's not even like, oh, maybe, maybe, I mean, she could have, she could have, she could have just, like, just to say she loves him, like, why does she have to do that? Some of you think, like, I mean, just tone it down a bit, Mary. I mean, you could have just stood by the door and waited for Jesus to walk past, and as he walked past, to sort of go, Jesus, I love you. That would have been cheaper. <laughs> but no. Because Mary's not into logic like that. She's not into saying, you know what, oh, that'll make more sense if I do that, that'll make more sense. She's into something different. What she's saying is this, she's saying the most expensive thing, whatever it is, whatever it is that we own, it belongs to him. I don't even care what people think. Why? Why would she do that? She would do that only because she knows what Jesus has done. And that's what Jesus has done. But you know what? This is the extraordinary thing for you this morning and this is what the message is here. This is where it lands. We know so much more of what Jesus has done than Mary. We look at that and think, man, that's incredible. But the truth is Mary hasn't even heard what Jesus, hasn't seen what Jesus is about to do. And what's that? And that's the good news. You talked about what an evangelist is. I said, I come and bring good news. Well, here it is. You ready for it? Here's the good news. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Everyone say for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Everyone say for us. That is the great news that I want to bring to you today. It's simple news but it's amazing and it's news that Mary could not even imagine. God demonstrates his own love. God shows us, shows us his great love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what that means is that we understand things in a way that is even greater and more than Mary. In fact, we know, I mean, forget the whole Lazarus incident. I mean, that Lazarus thing would have been amazing, but I'll tell you what, how about this for amazing? Jesus died and he should have stayed dead. It should have been our death for our sin. Sin meaning the things that we do to reject God and displease him. It should have been our death. Jesus takes the death, but that's no good because we've got a dead saviour now. Except how about this for excitement? Three days later, he rises from the dead. I mean, if you kind of went, oh, imagine Lazarus coming out of the grave, you should be like, wow, imagine Jesus. 
taking the sins for the world for you and you and you and me and then being risen from the dead. Mary had none of that. Mary saw none of that. You know, you know some of us, I think, at some times might, might think, you know, look, uh, maybe if I was there 2,000 years ago, that would have made sense. You know, then I would have understood it. You know what? I'd actually flip it. I think Mary would say, if I could go back in time and ask her, she would say, imagine if I lived in 2017. I could, that would be extraordinary. I'd trade this for then because you know what? I would know all about Jesus' death, his resurrection. He's poured out his Holy Spirit into our hearts. He lives in you. She would say, bring me into that place where we get to live right now because we know that amazing news. Yet our reaction to Jesus looks nothing like Mary's. Why? Why is it that we know the greatest news in the world? We know more than Mary did and we look at Jesus and we go, oh yeah, that's good. I might go on Sundays and talk about that. Maybe I'll, give, I'll listen. I might even go on Christmas and Easter twice. And that's your act of devotion. Because you know what? We know so much more and what that should do is it should capture our whole lives. Who's with me? Everyone understand? And so what I want to say is this. What would it look like for you today to understand what Jesus has done for you and to give your whole life to him? Because I'm telling you that when you understand who Jesus is and when you understand what he has done in entirety and you really let that sink in, and when I mean sink in, I mean not up here only, you know what I mean? I don't mean just oh, intellectually, yeah, okay, sure, he died on the cross. I mean, when you understand what that means, the greatest love in the world for someone to give your life to him, you spend your whole life giving it to him, giving your life back to him. And so today, I want to know whether there's people in the room who will be interested in that because, you see, the, so, the, the funny thing is, why does it? Why does our reaction pale into comparison compared to Mary's? And I think the answer is simply this. We've got too many perfumes. Do you know what I'm saying? You might think, what do you mean? No, I mean, we've got so many things that are more precious to us than him. We have so many things in this world. It may not be a jar of perfume, but what is your perfume? What are the things that you know right now that you are holding on to? There are things that you know are taking you away from Jesus being the main place. There are things right now, and I don't care whether you've been coming to church for a long time or whether you, uh, or whether you haven't, but you all know, like I do, that how many things try and compete for that spot, that thing that also draws your attention, draws your feelings, draws your affection. What are those things? Because Jesus says if it's anything other than him, you've got the wrong thing. What is... Your perfume. What are the things that are your best that Jesus wants? You know, like, um, I'm not sure if you know, you might have seen this video on YouTube. It's unbelievable. Uh, a video of how people catch a monkey in Africa. Some of you may have heard me share this before. It's crazy. If you want to, if, in tribal Africa, right in the deep kind of jungle, they've got this video of how these tribal people catch monkeys in the trees and how they catch a monkey and might be able to bag a monkey and you know, sell it to a zoo. Now, and they do so without any of the, um, what's it called? Darts. Tranquilize the darts. And, and use them at all. Do you know how they do it? You won't believe it. This is crazy. What they do is, they just film this thing. These tribal people, they've got these coconuts. So they take coconuts and they um, somehow uh, fix these coconuts to the ground with a chain or something so you can't pull them away from the ground or under a rock or something. I don't know how it works. So the, ch the coconut can't move. And they cut a hole 
in the top of the coconut. Check this out. This is crazy. And they cut a hole in the coconut. And the hole in the coconut is just big enough for a monkey to slide their hand in like this. And what they do is, inside the coconut, they put these candied uh, sweet nuts inside the coconut. And so what happens is, they put the dust... And, and, and these nuts, by the way, the monkeys can't deal with. They're crazy about it. They're crazy about these nuts, right? This is like full on. And so what they do is, they put these nuts and put them in the coconut, and then what they do is, they have them to the ground, and they just walk backwards like this. And you won't believe this. The monkeys are in the trees. And as they start walking backwards, the monkeys start going crazy because they realize there's a safe distance now between the, the humans and the coconut. And as they walk, the further they walk, the more the monkeys start going, they start going crazy, right? And I don't know how to make a good monkey sound, but you know, they're up in the tree. And they're like, they're all going crazy, right? And the monkeys are going totally nuts. And, they go, and then what happens is the bravest monkey comes down first. And the bravest monkey comes down, looks. I'm impersonating a monkey, okay. And the monkey comes down and then goes to the coconut. Very close now. And the, the guys are just standing there. They're not even moving. They're not just standing right, just like this, just having a smile on their face. And the monkey goes to the coconut, gets the coconut, and quickly puts his hand in, grabs a handful of nuts, big fistful, and runs. But it can't go. So the monkey's holding onto the nuts and he can't go. It's just, and then at this point, you won't believe it. The monkey's starting to really freak out. And the, the hunters, they just walk slowly up. They're not even rushing. Just walk up. The monkey's go. And all the monkey needs to do is what? Let go. All the monkey needs to do is let go, but he can't. The monkey's holding on. And the, the hunters just come over with a big bag. Come right over, stand, they're standing the monkey to show how it is. The monkey, ah! and they take the sack, put it over the monkey. Goodbye, monkey, right? And all the monkey needs to do is let go. It's a picture of what all of us do in life. All of us holding on to things. Holding on to things that we can't let go. Things that control us. Things that we, and all we need to do is let go because what Jesus says is this. It's only him who needs to be that thing that you hold on to. Because he's done so much for you. But all these things are the things that take us away from giving that kind of heartfelt devotion to Jesus. So my question, my question to you is, what are the things today that are keeping you away from Jesus? What's your perfume? What are the things? Is it your money? Is it self-interest? Is it pride? Is it career? What are those things that are keeping you from Jesus? Because in the end, the problem is that he's not the centre. And what Jesus wants is to be the centre of your life. So my question to you is this. What order do you put your life together? Today here, you might have thought, look, I don't even know why I came here. But I can tell you straight away why you came here. It's because what Jesus wants is he wants to be the centre of your life. He doesn't want to be a priority. He wants to be the priority. And he wants that because he's given you his life. I don't know... Um, what you're like when, we, when you go on driving holidays. But you know, we're in that stage where we're starting to realise that we can't, the only holidays that we can survive on you know, budget-wise are, are taking the car. So we take the car and we've got all four kids. Now you guys know, put your hand up if you've gone through a phase in life when you've done those road trips with noisy children in the back. 
Everyone knows that feeling, right? You feel my pain? You feel it. I'm feeling it. I'm looking at you all and you've, you've survived. You're alive still. Well done. This is amazing. You know, some of you got through, your kids grow up. But like, they, we've got four kids and they're not quiet. And these long car trips get intense. But you know, there's only one bit about getting ready to go on a car trip that I like. You know, you know one thing that is definitely my job. There's some jobs that are Naomi's. There's some jobs that are mine. But when it comes to a job that I think makes me feel like a real man, a manly job, right? I tell you, there's some job, it's packing the boot. You know what I mean? Like packing, like getting it in perfect. Come on, you men, you understand what I'm talking about? You know that feeling? You know that feeling, don't you men? Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. Packing the boot. All, all you men who like packing the boot, make a real manly sound for me now. Ready, go. Oh. There it is. Just me sounding like a monkey again. All right, so packing the boot. I love that feeling, you know, when you get everything there. My, my job is to pack the boot and get it perfect, get that boot, you know, the boot when you and you get it, it's like totally packing you. And I even like the bit when Naomi says, you'll never get it in. I'm like, oh, you watch, right? And that moment when the boot closes, that nice little chick sound, you know, chick, oh, it's a beautiful sound, right? Victory sound. So my job is packing the boot. Naomi's job is to bring all the heavy stuff to the car. No, no. <laughs> and so so I, I pack the boot. You know, now, all you manly men out there who know how to pack a boot, right? There's two types of things you can use to pack a boot. So uh, put it in the boot. So say you're going on a big camping trip. Now I want to ask you, which of these things do you pack first, all right? So here is, here is an esky, all right? Important, solid. And here's an esky. So you tell me, do you pack this first or do you pack something like this first? A nice, soft, squishy sleeping bag. So you've got like... These two options. Now, which thing do you put in the boot first? Do you put the squishy sleeping bag like this um, or do you put the esky in? All right, men, which one do you put in first? Esky. You put the big esky in first, right? Because you put all these big, fat, blocky things that can't move around and squish, right? So what you do is you put all these esky, you put the, um, what are the other big things you put in? The, the, the big suitcases, the... Um, all the extra homework for the Asian kids to study on the holiday. No, 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 no. Boof it. You put all those big, fat things in. Doof, doof, doof. You put it all in. And the sleeping bag or the doona, right? Man, that's the best. Because you just go at the end, right? And at the very end, when the boot's looking like you can't fit possibly anything else in, you get this thing, you shove it in the cracks, you know? You can, sh- you can yeah, push it right in. You can squeeze it right in there. And you can pack it right in. And then you can... That's how most of us pack our lives. We go through our lives and we put all these non-negotiables in. Our career. Our education. Our money. Our self-esteem. For the young people, maybe it's your social media account. You put all these things in. Doof, 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 doof. And Jesus, oh, you know, maybe. Look, look I'm, I'm, I'm okay with Jesus, I guess. And Jesus is like this. He's like the, the doona or the sleeping bag that you squeeze in at the very, very end. And I'll put him in, I'll put him in. He'll, he'll go in the boot. I'll just slip, slip him in and put him in around the edges and then you get your life and you look at anything. I've got it all sorted. I've got life worked out. But Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus wants to be the first thing in. Jesus wants to be the centre. And I'll tell you why he claims that and why he ought to claim that over your life because of what he's done. Because while you were still a sinner, while you were away from God, Christ died for you. 
And he says, put me in the centre. Put the other things around him. And so my question today is this. Do you have a priority problem? Do you need today to get to the place like Mary and say, you know what? There's Jesus. He gets my best. Let's go. Or are you today saying, there's Jesus and I don't mind hearing about him. I put up with today's church service and that crazy speaker and we listen through that kind of stuff. But or are you actually saying, you know what? Here is the deal. Jesus, he gets number one. He decides that he ought to be the centre. You know what's incredible? Today might be something that is more than you realise. Since I finish up, I want to start talking to you about something. You know that um, Mary did something in, in Mark's Gospel's version of this. Jesus says that Mary has done something more than she knows. That's a weird thing to say. Because even for Mary, you would think she knows what she's doing here. She's pouring the perfume on Jesus. But Jesus says, Mary's doing something more than she even knows. Do you know what he says it is? This is amazing. If you know your Bibles and you know the Easter story, you'll know that at, um, was it? I can't remember how many, how many women went to the tomb. Anyway, the women went to the tomb and they went there to anoint Jesus. Do you remember that? With oils and spices and that kind of stuff. They went to anoint Jesus' dead body in the tomb. Did they get to do it? No, because when they got there, Jesus wasn't there, he'd risen. And Jesus says, what she's done is, she has done this ahead of for my burial. Jesus didn't need to be anointed then because he already had, he'd been done so by Mary. And you see, what's happened is, that anointing had happened on Mary, which why is this important? Because Jesus says, you know what, in this beautiful picture, you see all this happening, but in the end, she's just doing something more than she knows, and in the end, it's about his death. In the end, all things point to the fact that he has died and he will die for the sins of the world. What is it that you are living for? What is it that commands your attention? I'm going to get Julian to come up and, and play a little bit while we reflect on this, but I want you to listen to me here. Have a look over here and tell me. What are the things in your... What are these things in your life that you're putting in to your boot? Because what Jesus says is this. He doesn't want that to be in. As first priority, he wants him. Who here knows what they're living for, or should I say who they're living for? Because when you understand who Jesus is, you'll realize that what he does is he demands your life, your soul, your all. I'm going to finish with this. You know, you talk about um, people who change. You know, you've seen me when I'm seven years old. You've seen me when I'm, I don't know, 15, when I'm 17. I tell you, if you want to get a real change in what people look like, you go many years later. And I want to tell you, um, James Roos had, their, uh, had our school reunion. Now, I don't know if you've been to a school reunion before, but, you know, the longer you go, and if you miss some in between, you, can ha- you can't recognize anybody. It's just crazy. And so I'm going to give away my age now. I recently went to my 20th school year, year reunion. Right? And all the young people are like, really? Oh my gosh, they're doing the maths. I can see you're adding my age. Right. 20 years. Now I'll tell you what, this, um, this thing was crazy, man. Like, I don't know, put your hand up, I've been to a school reunion before. Yep. Okay. Now, you know, I, didn't, I missed the 10 year one, so I haven't seen anyone. All this I haven't seen since school, since we're 18, right? And now we're 20 years on. 
And you go in these reunions and they're classic. Everyone says the same thing. All the conversations about the same. Like you pretty much walk in, it's like, it's, it's like speed conversations. Right? You walk around, it's quite unsettling really. You walk around and you don't have any deep conversations. You walk around and someone comes up and you, all the conversations go pretty much like this. So you walk in, hey, hey, how, I remember you. How are you? D- no way. What are you doing? What are you doing these days? What do you do for work? Married? Married? Kids? How many kids? Like you just debate, it's the same. Fantastic. Awesome. Great to see you. Move on, next person. Hey, how you doing? How is, and you just keep doing that all night, right? That's how you do it. And you go through this whole thing. You go around a year. You're going to move and move and move. And I went to my 20 year reunion. And one conversation stood out for me that was a really weird one. Because it didn't follow that pattern. Uh, there was a guy. And he was determined to have. Uh, a more deep conversation that night. He probably decided that's what he's going to do. And he came up to me. I, I couldn't even, to, to be honest, he walked up to me and I, I'd forgotten who this guy was. I, I, you know, we weren't really close at school. So he comes up to me and he says, Steve Chong. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who is this guy? And then I looked um, carefully and I just went, I'm like, I and then it came back to me. I'm like, I know you, we were in mass class together. It's like, yeah. And he said, you know what? He said, um, he's trying to make deep conversations. So he said, he said, um, it was a bit awkward actually, this guy. He said, um, the only thing he said was, he goes, mate, look at us in this year. So many things have happened to all of us. I said, yeah. He goes, you know what? I was talking to uh, people from other years in school who've had their reunions. And he said, you know what? Something pretty, pretty full on. He said, every, apparently every year from school, um, you know, in this kind of time zone that we you know, in, in, have been out of school around this long, every year has had someone die so far. And I'm like, what's well, a happy conversation we're having? <laughs> and he said, except our year. Could you believe that? Can you believe that? And I'm like, I said, yeah, wow. And I'm like, what do we say next? And then he said, to try to move it on, he said, look, Steve, actually, um, we're actually acquaintances on Facebook. Do you know that? I said, no. <laughs> And um, he said something really full on. He said, if you don't mind me asking, I've seen a few of your Facebook posts, you know, probably all about, you know, evangelist stuff, telling people about Jesus. And he said, um, he said, look, I'm definitely not a Christian, this guy. And it, it looks like you've found something to live for. Is that, and I just want to know, is that true? And here we are in this reunion and I'm just stuck with this moment everyone else is talking about their careers and what they're doing and I'm here and I've got this moment and this friend says to me it looks like you've got something to live for is that true? and I, I don't know why but all I said was I, I, and I'm pretty good with words I just sort of fumbled I fumbled the ball I just said yeah, yeah yep and all that came out of my mouth was have, have you found something to live for? And he said, no, nah, not really. He said, I, if anything, he said, I think life's about fun. He said, my partner and I, that's what, that's what we think it's about. That's all I've got so far, but not really, not yet. I don't know what, what's, um, what's worth living for. And the conversation ended just like that, just like that. We moved off and said, see you later. And let me tell you what happened next. He said to me as he walked off, he said, mate, anyway, have a great time. I said, mate, have a great week. I said, what are you doing this week? He said, I'm going on a holiday. I said, fantastic, have a great holiday. And um, I said, where are you going? He said, oh, you know, he's, I'll tell you where he went. He went where everyone goes on holidays when you want to have a lot of fun. He goes to an awesome place. He wants to get warm, so he goes to the Gold Coast. And so he goes up to the Gold Coast. And um, what do you do when you go to the Gold Coast? You go to, 
You go to theme parks, you have so much fun. That's what you do, you go to theme parks. So you could have picked any theme park. Six days later, you could have picked any theme park. You could have picked Movie World, you could have picked Sea World, but instead he went to this place, which is a very happy place, Dream World. What a great place. You could have gone to any ride that day, any ride. You could have gone to any ride. And that day he chose to go to a water rapid ride. He could have been anywhere in the queue, anywhere at all. But at that point in the queue, he decided to hop on one of those tyre things. And all of you who are nodding knows what happens next. Seven days after, at our school reunion, the last thing he says to me is incredible that no one in our, in our year has died yet. And then have a look at this next picture. You guys know what happens. The ride malfunctions and he, gets, he and his partner get crushed to death. And the last thing he says to me is this, have you found anything to live for because I haven't? You can take it off now, I don't want to look at it. You see, this friend, he wanted to know, he was searching for what it is that is worth living for. And he did not know, as none of us do, When our day is coming to an end, seven days later, his life was demanded from him. And I want to say, what have you found something to live for yet? You know what? Forget the something. I think he asked the wrong question. And I asked the wrong question back. And the question I should have said is this Have you found someone to live for? Because I'm going to tell you, the person to live for is Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, when you give your life to Jesus, your eternity is secure. He has secured your eternity because of his death on the cross. And I want to say to you today, if that's you, don't wait for tomorrow. This is not a tomorrow thing. I'm not going to make, wait, waste another opportunity like I did that day. And I'm not going to stand in front of you and not have a chance to say, today is the day. Not tomorrow, not next week. Today is the day to say, I want to give my life to Jesus because of what he's done. I want to have a merry-like devotion and give everything, my biggest priorities, I want to give it to Him. So I don't know who in this room that is. And I don't mind whether you've gone to church for a long time or not. And you might even find this a bit embarrassing. Because if you're someone who's come along to church for a while, you think, oh, they think, I'm a, they think I've got a personal relationship with Jesus. But you know what? I don't care because you know, Mary didn't even care what people thought in the room. Or I don't care if you're a visitor here, whatever it is. Today, what Jesus wants you to do is give your life to him. So I want everyone to do something for me. I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes, please. Could everyone please bow their heads and close their eyes? Everyone in this room. The only people we're going to see that is myself and Pastor John, maybe a couple of the leadership team. But I just want to say this. Please don't delay. This is life and death stuff we're talking about. If you today here know that God is already knocking on your heart and you need to give your life to Him, then what I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer that's simply going to say, I'm sorry God for living life my own way. Thank you Jesus for dying for me and please help me to live for you as number one priority from now on. If that is you, then what I would like to do, I'd like to know who I'm praying for. So that's you. Would you please raise your hand right now so I can see you? If that's you today, let's see your hand up so I can see that you today want to give your life to Him. You might have been treating Jesus like an old toy in the corner that you haven't really taken and gone back and you need to take him out and dust him out and you know that today you need to give your life to him. If that's you, could you put your hand up right now? Let's see it. That's great. 
If that's you today and you need to give your life to Him, you can see your hands. Keep them up. Any of your hands? It's good. If that's you today and you need to give your life to Him, just put your hand up right now. There's still time. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. pray two prayers today. So the first prayer is for those who are giving their life to Jesus right now. Keep your hands up, please. Anyone else? There's a bit more time before I can do that. That's you. You know that today you have not have walking with Jesus is your number one priority. You need to give your life to Him. Keep your hand up and I'm going to pray for you. Dear God, I'm sorry for living life my own way. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Please come into my life and help me to follow you from now on. Put your hands down now. Amen. Keep your eyes closed and heads bowed, guys. If there's anyone else here today who you know that you have not been living with Jesus as your number one and you've actually been, you would call yourself perhaps a Christian, but you know that there are other significant priorities, there's other eskies that are going into the boot things that are going ahead of Jesus and you'll know you're not putting him as the one who captures your whole devotion. If you're looking at the thing where you're looking at Mary's story and you think, that's not me at the moment. I want to be like that. I want him to have everything. If you know that's you, then I'd like to see your hand up so I can pray for you right now that, that you would um, reorder priorities. That's great. I can see a hand there in the middle. That's great. More hands up. Is there anyone else who wants to reorder? I can see you on the side, on the right-hand side over there. There's more hands up. Is there anyone else in the middle? Keep your hands up. Yeah, keep your hands up and I'll pray for you. There's heaps more. There's people, people come up the back. Anyone else who knows that Jesus isn't their priority right now? There's no shame in that. It's a great thing. It's what God wants. There's more hands coming up on that side too, which is great. Any more hands? That you know you need to have God as your priority today. Keep your hands up. Fantastic. Yeah, let's pray. Father, I just pray for each person whose hands up or perhaps hands up in their heart and those who you're still prompting right now to... to Admit that they don't have you as number one priority at the moment. I pray, Lord God, that you would get rid of all those distractions. That you would let them work, you would work in them by your Holy Spirit to draw their priorities towards you, that you would demand their life, their all. I pray, Lord God, that you would help them give their whole heart to you, every bit of themselves. And I pray that they would give their, um, their all to you and they would live as you, with you as number one priority from now on. You can put your hands down now and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic, guys. Well, let's thank God for the work he's done in people's lives today, which is just really, really exciting. Really, really great. And so right now what we're going to do is we're going to sing, I think. So the rest of the music is going to come up, and we're going to sing a song about surveying the wondrous cross. Now, I want you to sing this as a prayer, whether you had your hand up or not today. If you are surveying the wondrous cross, what does it look like if you to look at Jesus and what he's done and have your whole life follow him? And today, if you need to do that and... Um, you can still do that during the song and there's people who can pray with you afterwards as well so why don't we stand and let's sing and um, see what um, oh God's going to continue ministering to you